Coming up on Back in My Play, got a really great one for you because John Lineman is back on the show from Digital Foundry Retro. We're looking back on the year of 2017 in regards to retro video games, including the Digital Foundry Retro series, the series that John has meticulously put together. We talk about some of the most interesting things that he learned throughout that process, some of his favorite episodes, and we talk about some of the best retro-inspired games, music, and we finish off with our top five games of 2017. That's all coming up right now on Back in My Play. Hello, welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and we're getting really close to the end of 2017, and I wanted to get a couple more episodes put together before the end of the year while there's a little bit of free time in between getting the gym up and running and people getting ready for their New Year's resolutions and then looking for a gym where I might be a little bit more tied up over there. And in doing so, putting together this end of the year stuff, I thought it'd be great to to look back on the year of 2017 in regards to to retro gaming and even talk about some games from the current generation, that, which we'll probably save towards the end. But to talk about all this stuff, to look back on the year of 2017 in regards to retro gaming, and especially to look back on his series, Digital Foundry Retro, I got John Lenneman back on the show. John, how are you? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks for having me this morning. And this time you're like uh, a lot closer. You're in the United States. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I flew over for the holidays. So we are finally on the same time zone. That's awesome. Uh, but we always have a really good connection. And I, you know, I, I haven't, I was back in Munich about this time last year. So I feel like I should be like almost heading back to Germany, but that's just not in the cards anymore now that I've moved on to other, other things in my life. But (laughs) it's a beautiful country in the, during the Christmas time, Germany's uh, really awesome. Highly recommend if people ever want to make a trip up there for, for December. But um, let's, let's start here because again, you, I think it was last week you had a gigantic, like a 45 minute episode of digital foundry retro come out uh, where you got to, really look back on Rare's incredible output on the the Super Nintendo and also on the Nintendo 64, just some crazy things that they did in regards to, the, of course, Donkey Kong Country Series uh, and Killer Instinct, and even going into N64, looking at what they did with uh, Donkey Kong 64 as well. So how, how long was the the process of putting that project together? Because like you, you went out to their offices now at Oh God, I'm completely blanking on the, the new company that a lot of the folks uh-huh. from Rare opened. It's Platonic. There you go. Thank you, Platonic. Yep. And uh, of course, they most recently uh, had ukulele come out, correct? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So and, they, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I mean, you know, the, the whole company, I think, was started, as far as I can tell, to essentially become like old Rare, yeah. sort of a smaller team and produce, you know, the types of games that they like to make, so... So we're expecting a first-person shooter coming next from them. That's yes, that's, that's exactly. what I'm planning on. Uh, and that would be cool. <laughs> like when we saw, uh, like there's a really cool game, just like really quickly, uh, a game called, I think it's Never Stop Sneaking that just came out on Nintendo Switch, which is in the spirit of Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1 with like PS1 kind of sort of styled graphics. But they... Uh, I would love to see Playtronics also do that for like N64 first person shooters. That would be kind of weird. I agree. That'd be sweet. (laughs) 
Well, let's let's talk about uh, first Digital Foundry Retro because um, I think I have all the lists in, in front of me right now. But like, obviously, you're putting in tons of time into production, tons of time into capturing and, and researching for these these projects. W- was there any particular episode that really or episodes that stood out, you know, to you that were either particularly fascinating to do the research on or that were more fun to produce or even maybe in the opposite direction. Like, oh man, this was a real pain in the ass to try to like assemble (laughs) all these different games to make sure that we can cover it, you know, the way that it should be. Well, I think the three that I enjoyed the most actually were uh, the Doom one, just because it covered so much ground and Doom is such an Mm. important game to me and a lot of other people. Uh, Then the 32X one, I think, was one of the most interesting (laughs) ones because it was like this idea of like, what if I just covered every single game on the system? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the last time we literally talked was you're like getting ready to capture footage from every single game in the 32X library. And yep. all I could say was like, you know what? I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Best of luck. But man, that seems like a hell of an undertaking. And, you know, it's not a system that's necessarily full of classics. No, but... I also kind of developed a little bit of an appreciation for it because there, there's actually some pretty good games in there, mm-hmm. mostly from Sega. Uh, it's not an amazing system by any means, but it's fun to look at. And, you know, it's a weird footnote in history. And I had a lot of fun just sort of revisiting all those games and seeing what's what on there. And, I mean, obviously I discovered uh, 36 Great Holes featuring Fred Couple. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry, the full name is Golf Magazine Presents 36 Great Holes featuring Fred Couples. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's up there in the great pantheon of uh, 8, 16, and 32-bit golfing games, along with Lee Trevino's Golf and Wild exactly. Eye Golf on the <laughs> Nintendo 64. Man. Uh, well, like, what, what was was there a, uh, what was probably the best technical showcase on the 32X that you found? Oh, man, that's a tough one, but probably um, Shadow Squadron. Really? Which was uh, that space shooter. Yeah. That showcased that thing. Uh, it... Unlike a lot of 32X games, it actually runs smoothly. It looked surprisingly impressive, and it felt good to play even today. Like it has a mm. weight to the controls and the movement that it just—it just feels good to play. And I was kind of kind of surprised at how uh, much fun Shadow Squadron was. And then along those lines, I'd also say you know Virtua Racing on there is good. Yeah, uh, Virtua Fighter is good. Th- those games hold up pretty darn well. So it's, it's kind of hard to go wrong there. I think. I, I was I was also curious if if you. I mean, you you looked at the the hardware, what the hardware was um, capable of of doing. Did you think they left a lot of like you know left a lot of space on the table when it came to producing games for for that hardware? Did they actually end up utilizing the the extra hardware and that like you know mushroom tumor that you would throw on top of your yeah. Sega Genesis? So yeah, the thing about the thirty two X that I've kind of realized is that it's a very weird system because. It's pretty much mostly just CPU grunt for the mm-hmm. time. And I wouldn't even say, I say grunt lightly, but they're just using the two CPUs that are also in the Sega Saturn. Right. But they're clocked lower. And then the issue is that there's no um, extra, there's no video display processors or anything like that mm-hmm. to assist the system. So you got these two CPUs in there, which, you know, programming to use both of those is could be challenging, I suppose. Then you have to interface with the Genesis system and all that. And just the whole process seems pretty unwieldy. And since it's all CPU driven for the most part, I mean, uh, you can do a lot of weird stuff. There's 
but at the same time, it doesn't even have the ability to accelerate, uh, you know, background tiles and sprites mm -hmm. like you have on Super NES and Genesis. So just getting a 60 frames per second side scroller, which was like the norm on those 16 bit systems was tough. Like you have freaking Pitfall the Mine Adventure running at 20 to 30 frames per second yep. on the 32X. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> I, I mean, I think the thing that, I mean, this is something that if you ever owned a, a 32X, and I did for like a very brief period, like maybe for like two months or something like that, then I got <laughs> rid of it. Uh, like this was when I was really into collecting retro game stuff a couple of years ago All right. and amassing a collection. But the the thing that I always found so fascinating, you did a great job highlighting this across all the games, is that you know, there would be maybe two or three things that the main Genesis would be doing, like backgrounds or oh, yeah. like um, like the HUD or something like that. And then the 32X was doing like most of the work most of the time. Like not a lot of games seem to be able to really have a good balance between – like I think on even Doom specifically, like the original Genesis, all it was – taking care of was the the HUD, the display on the bottom, your stats and all that stuff. And then the 32X was handling everything else. Yeah. And, you know, I think for anything that's 3D, that kind of makes sense though, right? Because, you know, the Mega Drive Genesis couldn't really do a lot there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think um, it makes sense to use it for things like the HUD and whatnot. Yeah. But I think for side-scrolling games, it was one of those things where they just kind of had to they did have to rely more on the Genesis just to get smooth scrolling. So like mm. with Knuckles Chaotix, how all the backgrounds are just running on the Genesis. <laughs> and then it's just the sprites that the 32X handles. Mm -hmm. That's kind of bizarre, right? <laughs> yeah, I, Again, I think it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, again, I can't remember if you mentioned this or if it was something that I remember from um, Blake J. Harris's book, but like people going and looking in, in like the Sega labs in, in Japan and seeing the 32X and it's like, oh yeah, this is the thing. This is the thing that's going to like make sure that we stay relevant until we have our, our Sega Saturn ready to go, whatever that was going to be at that point. Um, but it was just like even, especially going through every game in the library, I'm like, man, like this was only kind of getting that Genesis up to maybe a Super Nintendo level of of output and power, especially when you compare it to what the Super Nintendo was able to do with extra chips, like the Super FX chip uh, specifically. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, obviously I think in 3D it's more capable than the Super NES and the Super FX, but it kind of brings the 32X more in line with stuff like the 3DO and mm. the Jaguar. Like it's it's surprisingly similar to those systems, but that wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not, that's not the bar you want to reach because obviously the PlayStation was about to hit the N64 was on the way. I mean, those were not the future and that's what the 32X was trying to be. And it's like, I'm not really sure what they saw there in terms of the market for the 32X. Like who's going to want to continue to make games for the 32X when the Saturn's out? Totally. That's, that's, that's the part of the plan that just never really made sense to me. I mean, I'm not really sure what they were thinking there, especially with the Sega CD, which did fairly well for itself, I suppose, and has a good library. But it just seems like they were asking too much, and it really, it really was a huge mistake in the end, even if it's fascinating to look at now. Right. And it, like, even in just going through those two episodes, it, it made me think like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know if there really has been 
like we a guaranteed successful add-on to these these consoles. Like obviously, you know, we had we had like side things like you could even call like the Super Game Boy an add-on. You could call um Sega CD, obviously, the the extra RAM that you would put in a Sega Saturn uh for you know your fighting games and for the Nintendo 64 with that expansion pack. But like I would almost have to guess like maybe the most successful of all those options would probably be like maybe maybe the expansion pack because it was packed in with at least a couple of the games like Donkey Kong uh, yeah. 64. Yeah, and I mean in the U.S. I think for sure something like the expansion pack was probably the most successful just out of necessity. But I think overall um, the PC Engine CD in yeah. Japan did very, very well because the whole back half of the PC Engine's library is it's almost entirely relegated CD. to CD. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where the best games are even. So I feel like... All those system cards, though, man, you need all those special systems. You you might need, like, throughout the process of owning that thing, you might need to get, like, three different system cards. Yeah, and even if you get, like, the the latest and greatest duo system, it's like, oh, well, I still need the arcade card to play these games. Yeah, insane. It's insane. Well, I, I, I mean, that's why I love kind of looking back at this stuff because you almost want to get into the mindset of, like, what were they thinking? Like, what, what... Like business strategy, did they actually have laid out that made them think that, yeah, no, we can we can sell enough of these to make it uh, make sense for not only first party but third parties to support these these add ons these systems, uh, and it's like it's a weird little thing that we have now where we're seeing the PlayStation Four Pro and the Xbox One X take a completely different take on this stuff because you're literally buying like half step half step upgrade consoles to kind of do something that very similar to what these add-ons wanted to do you know 15 yeah. 20 30 years ago but it's never like in terms of X Microsoft's and Sony's cases they're never leaving the previous folks behind like you can still play like what was I playing like you can still play Titanfall 2 on your Xbox 1 but if you play it on your Xbox 1X it's like a, a much superior experience. Actually, yeah, you know what? That's a really good point. I think that's the key there is that the new the new mid-gen systems do allow you to play your, all of your old library, yeah. and it does enhance them to some degree, some more than others, obviously. But, you know, in the past when you bought a system with an add-on like the Sega CD32X or any of the others, you're essentially buying new software for it, and that's the only thing you can right. do with it. Right. I mean, you could put a Genesis game in the 32X, but it didn't do anything for it. But not vice versa. The, like, uh, you couldn't buy that, yeah. like, 32. Like, it, uh, maybe it would have been way better. Like, I even see it right now where, like, another good analogy, it's movies. But, like, I have a 4K TV, so I'm always buying the 4K version of the movies yep. now. Same. And even if you don't, like, if you have a, like, say if you have, like, a, something that, like an Xbox One S or something that plays 4K Blu-rays, and maybe down the road you're going to want to get a new TV, all these 4K Blu-rays come with the just regular Blu-ray version as well. So you can just watch that. And when you can take advantage of that 4K version, you could do that where, like, what if that Mortal Kombat 2 for the 32X, like that cartridge, I guess it would have been like confusion for parents, but what if that cartridge also played on the original Genesis, like it had the same like sort of casing so it would fit in. So at least you could play it on your original Genesis until you got a 32X so you didn't have to buy Mortal Kombat 2 a second time. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's something that was missing. We did actually kind of see that with the Game Boy Color, though, if you remember. Great call, yeah. 
the black cartridges that kind of hit in between where that could be played on Game Boy or Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. So Nintendo did dabble with that. Like Zelda Blinks Awakening. Yeah, exactly. DX was exactly. One of those. So yeah, I think that that approach would have worked much, much better for the 32X. Just oh. because, you know, you'd just be buying a regular Genesis game and then, oh, if you get a 32X, you can enjoy a better version. But I assume at that point it just comes down to storage costs maybe. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, back then, you know, cartridge uh, memory, you know, those uh, uh, that, that was expensive. <laughs> I mean, it's we're dealing with it today with the Switch, too. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. crazy that it's now like we're kind of back to where we were uh, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I just saw that Nintendo delayed the 64 gigabyte cards for developers. Right, right. And I'm like, well, who's going to use that? No, like yeah. one game uses a 32 gigabyte card. <laughs> and it's like... So I, I don't I don't know. I, I'd like to see more large games instead of I really hate this new trend of putting part of the game on the card and then requiring you to it's download terrible. the rest. It's yeah. awful. It's I mean, uh, and, and right now, like we can kind of not necessarily get like a, a good A to B, but like, you know, a SanDisk Ultra, which is like their their higher speed micro SD cards are about tw- 20 bucks or nineteen ninety nine for a 64 gig. So I'm guessing for those you know, developers, they're probably going to charge them like maybe 15 bucks for those 64 gig, uh, carts, which is going to make, I mean, God, we could really see, we could see games like get into the 60, like it could be like Nintendo 64 all over again. You yep. get into like 69 99 for that copy of like Wolfenstein, you know, two that's going to come out next year. Like maybe that needs 64 gigs of storage. Exactly. And I even, I've spoken to a couple Switch developers at least who told me that um, their publishers had specifically told them you have to get the game size down below like X 16, number of space. Like in yeah. some of it was, and bo- both of those cases it was like, you need to get under four gigabytes. What? Like, we <laughs> want to use the four gigabyte cards. So you have to hit that target. I'm just like, wow, geez, guys. And this is like a multi-platform game that was available elsewhere at like right. more than twice the size. So it's like, well, you have to find a way to really compress that down. And it yeah, hurts the experience, yeah. you know? I, I mean, it's, 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 again, it's like, what, what a weird thing to think about. But it's also, you, you almost want to kind of appreciate that and, and kind of encourage that to a certain extent where like I'm looking at the hard drive on my Xbox One X where oh. <laughs> I have some games that are literally over a terabyte. Oh yeah. It's insane. (laughs) Because of all those 4k assets, like you need, like, God, there were, there were games where you like, you install God, like 400 gigs from the the disc or something like that. Then you need another 200 for all the 4k assets. Plus you might have DLC. It's insane. I think the largest one is actually like 163 gigabytes or something. For the 4k assets. Yeah. So like quantum break, if you download the patched version and you get all the videos downloaded, Rather than streaming them, I think it's 160 something gigabytes. Okay, I hold, hold on. I'm, I'm now thinking that I misspoke. I might have said like one terabyte for a game. I meant 100 gigabytes. Okay, yes, so no, I know. okay, I, I, I just think, want to make I, for the audience. Just <laughs> put down your keyboards. I'm sorry, that was my mistake because I'm thinking like, oh yeah, I just I threw on a like that was one of the gifts that I got for for Christmas. It's like there was like 50 bucks for a two terabyte like external oh, nice. drive, and like that's that's something that is absolutely god. Like Useful. I don't know. Yeah, like Microsoft would have made much more sense, especially because they ended up putting out, I don't know if you remember, but the original S had a two terabyte option. 
where oh yeah that's right so and then the only option for the pro or x no for the x i mean sorry is only a one terabyte so like one terabyte might get you maybe 10 or 12 games on there like it's it's not a not enough room but so i've got external drives um video games are so weird they they've been they've been weird forever (laughs) uh and like these options and these these steps have been crazy uh forever but I wanted to ask you about, um, and specifically in regards to like retro games, like we have had some like really interesting steps forward when it comes to the availability and also the accessibility of really good retro gaming on on HD TVs. And even if you want to go through the RGB route and go through SCART cables and and uh, hook up a PVM, there's other consoles that are allowing folks to do that as well. But I, I was just wondering like what are your thoughts are on first, like Nintendo seems to finally have ramped up their production enough where f- folks were able to get Super Nintendo Classic Editions no problem uh, for the most part. Um like I think Amazon had them for literally like an hour on uh two days before Christmas here in the States. Like you could literally just they had so many where you could just order them for almost an hour. Uh, which isn't perfect, but um I was just kind of curious like with that, along with uh, 8BitDo has been putting out some really great hardware to make this stuff uh, you know, modern to the point where you can have wireless controllers that seem to be pretty good. And then if you want to get crazy, specifically when it comes to the Super Nintendo, um, the Super Analog NT is due out in 2018, which seems to, from everything that we've seen so far, uh, seems to be affordable and also... Uh, the hardware seems to be really rock solid. It seems to be like almost perfect. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, analog actually had a big year, I'd say, because earlier this year is when they launched the original, well, the analog NT mini, right? which was the 8-bit system. And I did take a look at that, and that is absolutely an incredible machine. I mean, between the, by default, you get both HDMI output with tons of options, as Mm. well as uh, analog RGB. But you also, you know, there's the SD card slot there. You can jailbreak the system and play all kinds of right. other 8-bit machines in there, Master System, Game Boy, and the like. Plus, it just does a great job with regular NES games. And I feel like, you know, it's just a beautiful little package that does everything you want. So the Super NT then seems like sort of like trying to find ways to solve their... I mean, the big issue with the NT Mini, I think, is price, right? Yeah, man, 500 bucks is is a lot. Yeah, I mean, I found it to be worthwhile, but I could absolutely... Most people are going to be like, what, are you kidding me? I'm not paying 500 bucks for an NES. Totally. But, so, but even though the quality was great, you know, obviously they, they, they found the areas where they could cut things down a little bit, but still produce a nice machine. Like the, the Super NT is now made of a plastic. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it seems to be a nice-looking plastic. It's not just like some cheap kind of thing here, but which I think that's okay. Most consoles are, right? right. So no big deal. But they, you know, they've cut the price to below two hundred dollars now, as opposed to basically like four fifty or five hundred. And I think that right there makes this suddenly a much more attractive option. And that includes and a wireless controller. It does, I think. Does uh, it? An eight bit dough? Yeah, it includes. Uh, let me make sure. Oh no, I take that back. That's for the one eighty nine is without the controller included, but they already have built in support for the eight bit dough SN thirties, uh, which run. Uh, 40 bucks, but I picked up, um, and that's the one without the dongle. It's just a straight Bluetooth controller, but, yeah, exactly. um, 
like I've even been, I got their uh, one that specifically comes with like the the Wii input dongle that will work with yes. like your SNES Classic. And that has been, it's not perfect, but it's pretty close, especially for 25 bucks. Like it makes it a lot easier than to hook up like the extension cables and all that stuff. Yeah, and I've been actually going back and forth a lot this year between real SNES controllers and these 8-bit Do ones. And I found that overall, uh, the 8-bit Do ones stack up extremely well, especially, you know, Given the variable quality of your old SNES pads, I have a couple yeah. that are in great shape, but most of mine, you know, they feel okay, but you can tell that they're a little bit worn down from, mm-hmm. from use. And you pick up the 8-bit dough pad and it just feels much crisper overall. I think the literally the only issue I've had with the 8-bit dough pads thus far has been down diagonal motions. I was going to say the D-pad seems a little stiff still. It's pretty good but you'll notice this when playing Mega Man and you're doing a lot of quick motion sometimes you'll slide when you don't want to you know what mm-hmm. i mean cuz you're trying to press right and it slightly might detect that you also press down which right. then triggers the slide that's happened to me enough where i'm like okay there's a little bit of something going on with the d-pad but i'd say in 95% of games or more i mean and even in that case it's still very playable Mm-hmm. It's it's a good pad and it's probably the best clone pad I've ever used because usually that's one area that's you know most attempts at cloning these system pads right. don't really work out very well. <laughs> I'm I'm still I'm still boggled uh why you know Sega has not been able to to figure this out to find the right partner to work with to not have um not have consoles that are just so terrible in terms of emulation in terms of and and especially like the price range is pretty close like we're talking 80 bucks for the the snes classic and their sega stuff is like 60 bucks but you know if you spent the extra 20 dollars and got controllers that weren't terrible and you know found someone to put together the software where the experience like i i think like half of what makes the snes classic and the nes classic such a great product is uh, the 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 overall experience, like the the yep. menus and the interface and the feeling that you get, where like the 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 console looks really similar. Like you can get the exact same controllers, like they feel so close to the even the original SNES controllers that I still have. Um, it is just a, a real disappointment that Sega has still not been able to find the right people or to put enough energy into it. Because if you look at like how many Nintendo is selling of these things, they 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 seem to be really missing out on a, a gigantic, you know, amount of money that they could be bringing into to you know, Sega I agree, Enterprises. I agree. And one thing I'd like to see on they would never do this, of course, but I would like to see like a say like a miniaturized Dreamcast. Right, you open yeah. up the lid and you insert a GameCube sized disc. And on each disc, they could put, you know, like X number of games in there and maybe sell like four discs as part of a collection. But yeah, if they like could volumes. Complete, yeah, like little discs with the perfect replication of the old Dreamcast packaging that mm-hmm. you actually put in the miniaturized Dreamcast. Like, you know, obviously, again, that's not going to happen today in this age of flash storage and all that. But man, that would be cool just having like a little replicated version of the Dreamcast experience. Yeah, I... Again, I, I think this this is like part of this overall discussion that I wanted to have is is that it is we're, we're having fewer and fewer reasons to like say like oh you know well I'm just going to emulate this stuff or I'm just going to download the ROMs because you know for uh, a pretty good lineup of games like Nintendo is putting out good hardware a good lineup of games at a price that is 
good enough, especially when they get those NES classics back in stock, like in, you know, mid 2018 or whatever that they're planning on doing for 60 bucks. Like you could probably hit most of the, uh, the games that you would want to have on that hardware. And if worst case, like there's pretty easy ways to add a couple more games on there if you really need to. Yeah, exactly. So I think Nintendo overall has kind of shown the way in terms of what large publisher or a console manufacturer should do in terms of re-releasing old hardware. From what you've seen, do you think they would be able to, with, again, like they seem to use pretty much the same hardware from the NES to the Super Nintendo Classic. Um, I would guess, especially as someone that has like done, I've, you know, have the RetroPies set up. Do you think they could actually get N64 stuff going on that hardware? Is that something where, you know, that might not be for another four or five years? Like Game Boy seems to be the next logical step. Uh, But of course, people are going to be, like if they could get an N64 out there with like the Mario Karts and the Mario Parties and Super Mario 64 is like all these games that, you know, folks our age really are attached to, uh, that seems to be just another easy win if they could make it happen. Yeah, I think N64 is a weird one because, yes, the hardware itself is more complex and nuanced. And I think emulating it on that little uh, whatever they have in the system, that system on a chip, I think it's the all-winner system on a chip. I'm not sure it could do the job that it needs to do to really pull it off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like, but the hardware exists, obviously. So it would just require slight, maybe a slightly different solution, which may prevent them from wanting to do it. And then the other problem I think comes into the library itself, because obviously, yes, there's, there's games like Mario and Zelda and all that, that everybody remembers at once. But I think what a lot of people remember about the N64 are rares games and you're not going to be releasing stuff like goldeneye or banjo kazooie or those things on this n64 mini i i i would i would i would agree with you if they weren't i guess it is a little bit of a different story but like if they're able to get to donkey kong country like they still have a good enough relationship with microsoft and rare to be able to allow for some sort of there, there have been some agreements with them over the years when it came to like Perfect Dark coming to the the Xbox 360 and, and stuff like that. So maybe they say, hey, you know what? What if we threw you – again, I, I forgot who I was talking to a couple weeks ago, but like seemingly the licensing for GoldenEye seems to be um, – In limbo? Yeah, or something like that. Or it might actually be possible to, to, oh. to make this happen. Um, but – what I'm thinking is that maybe they could at least have some sort of deal where, hey, we have a pretty good relationship. We let you like they brought all those NES games in the rare collection for the the Xbox One too. Like there must be some sort of at least decent working relationship between Nintendo and Microsoft, at least much better than it is between Nintendo and Sony or Microsoft and Sony. Yeah, that's true. They're, they don't seem to I see think- each other as competitors, which is like probably a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, it is entirely possible. I mean, I think with the handheld stuff, it happens just because, hey, it's a handheld. Yeah. And with the NES stuff, it's, you know, you're allowed to emulate the NES. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegal about that. And they were, you know, they could do that, I think, without Nintendo's permission, since they own the rights to those games. That's right. We've but, seen that with Legacy Collection and, and of course, the second Legacy Collection, too. Man. But then you're right. Perfect Dark was an interesting one because I, I mean, I think that was a, a Nintendo published game, 
So that would have, you know, yeah. even though they did, they did take the rights to Perfect Dark as a franchise. I'd be curious to know what the situation was around the original N sixty four game. Uh, I love. I mean, anything's possible. I think at this point, where we see, you know, Hamster seemingly able to, you know, get the oh, rights yeah. for basically anything that's out there. Like they just had a, a story in Famitsu two days ago saying that their their goal is to get eight hundred arcade games out onto current generation hardware. Like that's Hamster's on fire, man. They're <laughs> on fire. Like their their emulation is great. Like it's you know you know them and really M two uh, are continuing to to do do the work of 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 you know the awesome retro gamers out there. But I I think if that can happen, if Windjammers can eventually come out, like we can, if if there is enough demand, like there seems to be enough people that are able to open up their checkbooks or, you know, get the contracts lined up where they can make this stuff happen. If it makes sense for, for all parties, whether it be exchanging money or exchanging, you know, limited rights for, for, you know, sharing each other's games on each other's consoles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to be optimistic. 2017 has been a shit year. I want to be an optimistic person for 2018. Anything's possible folks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, let me let's let's kind of jump around uh, a little bit because obviously we we talk about the Super Analog NT and, and just like these awesome, you know, retro consoles, these way to play retro games, and even like gray area. But if you want to set up like a retro pie, like it's something you can do in twenty minutes and have a pretty good experience uh, with that as well. It's a really good like that was a hit at the parties, you know, multiple times for me this year was just bringing an eight uh, couple eight bit controllers. And hooking up a RetroPie and then playing through like Sunset Riders on on a TV, like it's oh yeah, it's still like it's it's close enough where it's pretty good. Um, but we've also seen this in terms of games, like we've seen games like Wonder Boy, we've seen um, games Wonder Boy three, and also uh, Samus Returns, a remake of Metroid two. Of course, there was AM two R uh, the year before, um, but we've been able to see games like that and Sonic Mania make oh, yeah. really big splashes and and really revive some of these series, especially when it comes to Sonic, when it comes to Metroid. Like, when was the last time you thought about Wonder Boy uh, before the most recent game came out? I was just kind of curious, like, what, what are your thoughts? Are there any games that really stood out in these retro remakes or retro vials or, or games that are made with, like, a, a retro inspiration or aesthetic uh, in, in the year 2017? Well, yeah, for me, I think the two big standout ones you mentioned there are uh, it's Wonder Boy and Sonic Mania. Yeah, and I think what it shows is that those developers really truly understood the source material all the way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see a lot of retro style games that sort of ape the pixel art style and everything, and they might play well, but there's often something kind of I don't know missing about them. Like there's a feeling that you don't get from a lot of these attempts, but both Wonder Boy and Sonic Mania, I think, delivered that in spades. And they just felt so good. And just the experience of sitting down with them, it really captures that sort of... Uh, the the emotional feeling you get from playing those original games. Especially, you know, if you're a big fan of them in the first place. Stardew Valley, I think I would kind of throw oh, up there, yeah. too. As, Actually, like, another right, game. Exactly. That's, a good, that's a good one. <laughs> now that's, like, popping into my head. And I think that's also been one of the biggest... Oh, another one. Blaster Master, um, oh, yeah. what is it? Zero. The, the new, yeah, Blaster Master Zero. That was awesome. Yeah, f- fantastic game. I mean, there's uh, 
Water Boy, uh, the Dragon's Trap, uh, which again, like I, I, the, one of the, my favorite things about the the Switch, like I might have played, I think I own three games for that thing that like are big AAA releases. Like I have Mario Kart, I have Odyssey, I have Zelda. And, the essentials. Yeah, like I have the essentials. Like I'm not one of those crazy people that's buying like Skyrim for the 15th time on the console. Like that's not. No, thank you. That, that, yeah, that's not. And it's like the worst potentially worse version of it. anyways um but what it's really been has been like games like like i bought sonic mania on it you know i bought wonder boy on it i bought blastmaster zero on it i even bought uh two days ago i got it's on sale right now if you're listening to this it might still be on sale but the mummy demastered yes uh, on it like really good retro inspired or actually like really retro games that are that are on this console it's been an awesome you know, go to because it's just got enough power to run those games perfectly. Uh, and also, again, you, know, you get the obvious benefits of being able to play this stuff uh, wherever you want. For sure. I agree. It's great to have. Uh, and, I, and I will say one more thing uh, the Nintendo Switch was essential to surviving the holidays with my family this year because, <laughs> like, my family gets along all right, but like, we don't necessarily all hang out together. But uh, for Christmas Eve, or no, it was the day before Christmas Eve. My sister and her boyfriend were up here, and I brought over my Switch specifically with the Jackbox Party Pack. Oh, nice! And like this was this was like my okay. If we're gonna be here for a couple hours, we need something to like. I can't watch college football, guys. Like I can't watch just random <laughs> college football games. So I convinced them to hook that up and literally like it takes two seconds to hook up. Like you barely have to bring anything to hook it up to the TV. It's like the power cord, the dock and an HDMI. Well, you could literally use an HDMI cable that's already hooked up to the TV. And like, that's, that was my magical switch experience is being able to bring that over and play, you know, Jack's box party pack one. And I think it was three, but again, it's, uh, I'm continuing to enjoy that console. That could, that's one console. I really hope that we see in the next like year or two, a DSi or a 3DS, uh, new 3DS inspired uh, revision, so we yes. could have like I'm sure. I mean, you've looked at plenty of games like you know Zelda, and there's there's plenty of games that like run it like just barely 30. Uh, I would like to see some more games run at more of a locked 30. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is another game that seems to really be suffering. Um, yeah, it's a good game, but it has issues. Right. So uh, yeah, that's. Really good console. Again, I think in PlayStation and uh, Xbox all have you know access to a lot of these games too, especially with limited run continuing to put out a lot of games on on disc and uh, the other company that I'm forgetting the name of um, that puts out lots of retro stuff. Um, yeah, forgetting. no, I think I think with the Switch though, you know, one of the other things that really rekindled for me was back in the day that whole idea of like, oh, I'm going to take my memory card to your house. Yeah. We're going to play the save, right? Well, now you just take your whole Switch, and you could be in the middle of like playing a game on your friend's Switch. And like, oh, let me show you this real quick. Right. Just pull his Switch out, put your Switch in, do the thing, and then you can just swap back and keep playing where you were. And just like this whole, the docking system is really cool in that sense. I love it. It is. It is. Uh, so again, yeah, props to Nintendo for pulling a lot of that stuff off. I'm looking, I, I just, I hope 2018... I think 2018 might be a little bit of a dry year unless Nintendo's holding a lot of stuff back. So I'm hoping yeah, they, they got it feels some like stuff. They, yeah, it really feels like they got everything out this year, yeah. which is amazing. Like I can't believe how many good games were released 
this year for the Switch, even from Nintendo itself. So I'm not really sure what they're going to have going forward at this point. But Grand we'll Theft Auto Five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think maybe actually, you know, the thing, the release I'm most excited for is actually that Street Fighter Anniversary Collection. Oh, oh yeah, having that on the oh man, <laughs> that's that's going to be good. Oh. Oh, that's what I was talking. I was talking to Mike Michael about all that stuff last week or two weeks ago. That's that's where all that discussion came up. Um, He's involved in that, right? In yeah, the, they, yeah, yeah. Digital uh, Digital Eclipse is is doing all that stuff. So that's awesome. Uh, from Good for them, everything I've heard, it seems like they that is a rock solid product that should be uh, up to expectations. So uh, they got a, a couple more months to to make sure that happens. Um, all right, so. The last thing I want to talk to you about, like we're coming up on almost an hour at at this point. Actually, there's two more things. One thing real quick, we hit on uh, briefly, but like the future of back and pat, because I, again, when, when I looked at my investment for the Xbox One X, I almost bought it solely and people that have PCs will flip out, but I really just bought it for um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds because my best friend lives in Orlando and he doesn't play PC games, but he plays Xbox One. So sure. like, I literally bought that thing just exclusively to almost play PlayerUnknown's on Xbox One, even though it is not a very good version of that game at this point. Um, but obviously a lot of other benefits, then you guys over at Digital Foundry have done an amazing job taking a look at this stuff, is not only the, you know, enhanced version of current Xbox One games and some actually getting like really significant improvements in terms of frame rate and in terms of resolution, but also seeing what it's able to do for Xbox 360 and original Xbox games as well as they continue to really nurture that back library of Xbox games where if you do any kind of comparison with you can look at Nintendo and say like, oh, they're kind of doing it with some re-releases like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Um, Sony is kind of doing it by bringing games uh, from the th- PS3 and the PS2 and re-releasing them like mm-hmm. uh, Shadow of the Colossus and, and, and games like that, bringing those to the PlayStation 4. But like you still can't like put in a PS2 disc or a PS3 disc and be able to play those games on a PlayStation 4, and obviously the Switch is a different story because it's not optical uh, media. Um, but I was kind of curious, like, what, what's your outlook on the future of, of backwards compatibility and, like, what you've seen in terms of... Do you have an X? Do you have one of those? Oh, oh yeah, of course. I mean, I couldn't do the work I'm doing without it. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome reason to buy one. But, like, have you, have you messed around with any of... Like, I've just been surprised at how yes. great it's been running, like, 360 games. Like, even games that weren't even pointed out to be like enhanced Xbox 360 games, but they just seem to be able to, you know, like PS4's boost mode, even boost up some of those games that aren't necessarily enhanced through software. Yeah, for me, uh, the backwards compatibility stuff on the X has been incredible so far to the point where I've actually found myself rebuying a few games here and there that I already own on other platforms mm-hmm. just because I want to see how they how they work on the Xbox One X. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. So specifically, it's those, uh, the 4K updated ones or whatever they call them, you know, like Halo 3, Mirror's Edge, Skate 3 and the like, where essentially they're able to increase the rendering resolution of 360 games dramatically. And, and like draw distance, too. like it, like Halo Three specifically is, of course, Microsoft is going to put a little bit of extra time into one of their games and one of their core franchises. But like Halo Three looks 
kind of insane. Uh, yeah, Halo 3 especially, and this isn't even the Master Chief Collection version, just when you add in that all the new texture filtering, the super high resolution support for HDR, and they completely fixed the bad frame pacing issues, which mm. plagued the original 360 version, uh, it's kind of insane like how much better it looks. It really, really looks great. Yeah, I, I think... For me, I've come to the conclusion, like, I, I've liked building PCs over the years. But for me, like, I, again, one of the big things was, like, a lot of my friends just don't play PC games. Like, I just don't right. have a PC gaming community that I surround myself with. Even the people that, like, come on this show, like, the guys over, like, Player on Podcast and stuff, like, they're not playing games on their PCs, even if they have good PCs. Like, they're playing them on, on consoles just because it's it's super easy. You just pop in a disc and it works. Like, you don't have to worry about anything. Um, but I've really embraced like with the PlayStation 4 Pro, although that seems to be especially like God, I, I just really wish they took I really wish they put some more juice into that hardware because it seems to already be hitting a ceiling, especially when you hear how loud my PS4 Pro gets when I play like Wolfenstein 2. Yeah. <laughs> um I feel like they really they really kneecap that thing, uh especially when you're comparing it with like what the Xbox One X, which came a year later, uh, and was a yeah, hundred dollars more. Exactly. Um, but it is actually like I care way less about the 4K resolution, even with the 4K uh, TV. I care way more about 60 frames per second on my games. Like Gears Four, 60 frames, awesome. Oh, yeah. Forza Horizon Three, 60 frames, awesome. Like that is a huge difference for me. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think especially in the case of Microsoft's console here, it's uh, it's the gap that matters. You know, the Xbox One was fairly underpowered, I'd say, yeah. compared to the PS4. And the Xbox One X is more powerful than all the PS4s. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge differential between the two that almost makes it feel like a generational leap. And with the Pro, you know, I think it's a decent machine. It does some good stuff, but it doesn't feel like a massive leap between the PS4 and the PS4 Pro. Right. And I think that's why a lot of consumers are kind of like mm, not really into it just for that reason because it doesn't feel like a big jump. It just feels like you're kind of getting a slightly enhanced version, which I actually think was Sony's original intent. It's just, you know, people kind of want more, right? Totally. And I I, I like I I'm still I still love my PlayStation 4 Pro just because like, you know what? It's going to be the system that I play Yakuza 6 on. Um yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? I mean like it um Yakuza uh, Kiwami is a game that I'm looking forward to starting in the next week or two after I finish. I'm actually really digging Dead Rising 4 right now. So I've been playing. Oh, nice. Uh, that, that was there was like 12 bucks on sale. So I figured go pick that up. But like literally the Xbox One X and like its improvements made me uh, replay. It gave me a reason to replay through Titanfall 2, which is still great. Probably the best single player campaign for first-person shooters in this generation, if you don't account for story, because I think Wolfenstein Two still well, beats it. <laughs> I would put I would put Doom ahead of uh, Titanfall oh, Two, you're, oh, you're but right, only but just. It's such a tight six hours. Like it's, it's so tight. Oh, it's I know it's it's up there for sure. Jumping like, it's from one helicarriers, of, one of the best. like getting thrown into a moving helicarrier, and like actually caring about. Like I forgot how much I love that game until I I like replayed it in two days, like in just two like three hour sittings. And yeah. oh my god, it's just please. I I know there are, like plans to make a third one, but I really hope respawn like puts their A team on that and puts the B team on whatever that Star Wars stuff they're working on. 
Yeah, you know, it really, to me, it feels like um, Titanfall 2 has a bit of a half-life kind of feel to it, in that it seems like every chapter is introducing new ideas and concepts that completely yeah. differ from what you've seen before. And it just keeps the, it keeps the pace, like, in such a place where you just say, oh, man, I have to keep going because I want to see what's going to happen next because, yeah. I mean, and then you turn around, it's like, oh, press A to time warp. And then, you know, you're getting tossed between different crafts. And, like, the whole thing is very, very exciting. I agree. <sighs> yeah, well well I, done game. Please, if you're in the States, it's literally, like, 10 bucks on Amazon for PlayStation 4, Xbox One versions of that game. Do yourself a favor. Buy it. Even if you're, like, not super into first-person shooters, it has – the game has a surprising amount of heart. It has uh, yep. a really interesting sci-fi story. And uh, the the tools and the mechanics are a lot of fun to use. So – um, that was my excuse to talk about Titanfall too. Um, well, let's, let's wrap up. I want to, I want to hear, I mean, we're talking about games from the past, but I want to wrap up talking about games from, from 2017. And I, by the time people hear this, they're also going to be able to go and check out your video, uh, for digital foundry talking about your top game. Is your, are you doing a top 10 list or a top five list? How, how are you guys oh, doing? I just, I just decided to do a top five list. I think and that's, you- I think that's way better. It's just like. If you can find five tight, like, yeah, I like tight lists. That's a tight list. Exactly. And, you know, all, you know, what I would have liked is each, all four of us working for DF to actually do a list like that. That was the original idea. But, you know, with the way the workload has been, we didn't have time. But before I came over to the States, I did at least have the chance to put together my own list. And I did a nice, like, 18-minute video on it. Nice. It unintentionally turned out that long, but <laughs> whatever you know, it's YouTube. It's it, they're good. Long form videos are are good. So let's let's start at the bottom. What is number five for me? I went with Near Automata. All right. Um, before we talk about this, don't spoil it. It's I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. And in the okay. video as well, I don't spoil the game. I try to keep. I kept. I used my old captures mainly for that. So I kind of kept it to you know the first like three or four hours. Okay, because this is so, sitting yes. on my, I mean, I, I played maybe the first hour of it when it came out, but I don't know if you remember, but it was when that came out, when Yakuza 0 came out and the Switch yeah, came out. Yeah. So like it kind of got shelved when Bad you know timing. Zelda was out. Yeah, um, I mean, what can I say about it? I The storytelling and the whole experience is just unbelievably strange in a good way. Like it just, they they do some stuff with game storytelling that you don't really see. And I really enjoyed that. And the I soundtrack also think, of the year. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I I could probably agree with that. Yeah. It's that was what the it won that at the game awards, didn't it? Uh, well I deserved. can't remember. But if it did, I, th- I think it, it was did. Deserved. I think it did actually, and I think that's deserved. It's really great. So, but what really elevates it for me? Because you know I've played previous games from Yoko Taro, and his the gameplay has always been an issue, right? You go back to like Drakengard or mm-hmm. the original Nier. Uh, they're good experiences, but they don't play that well. And I feel like partnering with Platinum Games allows Nier Automata to play so much better. Like, it's not like Bayonetta quality here, but mm-hmm. it's closer to that than everything else that Yoko Taro has worked on. And as a result, it just ends up feeling good to play. And then when you add in the stuff like the overhead, side-scrolling, whatever, shooting segments, and all that kind of weird creative stuff... I think it comes in as a really tight package. You have fun gameplay, great music, a very, very interesting storyline, and it's just, it's a nice mix. Yeah, that's um, that's probably the game that I'm most worried about. Like, I'm listening to some podcasts right now that are doing Game of the Year stuff, and it's 
that and Persona 5 are the two games I don't want to hear any kind of like spoiler stuff because I'm still I'm that a-hole that's still holding out that Atlas will have a big event maybe in January or February and announces as my dog barks he's on the same page that we're going to see <laughs> Persona 5 the PS3 version ported to the Switch. I think that would be such a perfect game for the Switch. Well, keep in mind, I did a comparison, and outside of the frame rate and resolution, the PS3 and PS4 versions are like 100% right. identical. I'll take, so, like, I'll take would, 30 on that game. Like, you know, Persona 4 Golden, I think, was 60, but, you know, Persona 3 Portable was not. <laughs> no, exactly. It, it would be fine on the Switch. I'm, they could absolutely pull it off on the Switch, and I would love to see a Switch version of Persona 5. I mean, it makes it makes so much sense. We're yeah, we're seeing the the PlayStation, or excuse me, the Nintendo Switch is like selling, outselling the PlayStation Four, like four to one right now in Japan. Like, there's a there's an audience for for that. Yeah, now, so. come on, guys, we need it. <laughs> All right, so what's what's number four? So number four is an unexpected one for me. It's a uh, Cuphead. Really, that's another because- game I have not played yet. So you know, as I say in the video, the thing that really took me there is. All throughout its development, I looked at it and said, yeah, this is going to be a great-looking game. It's beautiful, but do these guys really know what they're doing in terms of gameplay? I just Mm. kind of expected it to be a beautiful but very simple and not well-designed game, which was very unfair not giving those guys the credit that they deserve because in the end, they absolutely understand what makes a good run-and-gun shooter like really tick. Mm. You know what I mean? They clearly studied stuff that like treasures worked on over in the past and you know things maybe even like metal slug and whatnot and tried to figure out you know just what makes those games so good and i think they actually nailed that with cuphead so there's there's six main side scrolling levels Mm -hmm. which are all excellent i think and then it's mostly other than that like a boss fight game but the the way the bosses work and the mechanics and the thrill of succeeding is great as a, I think the main point is that it's tough, but it's constantly, it's a bunch of mini challenges. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, you have to figure out these little patterns and get through it. But when you fail, you just retry immediately, try it again. And it just feels good when you start to overcome those, each one of those little challenges, one after another. And it just, you know, it, it just feels great to play. And that's on top of the really, really great music, the incredible visuals, and, you know, just that kind of stuff. It just worked for me that's also sitting on my xbox one that i've i just like have not i'm doing my best to stick with one game at a time right now because i'm trying not to to juggle stuff but that is a game that i'm definitely gonna play at some point in the next month or two it's it's just like this is a really bad rationale but i'm like should i really be playing this if i can't get through contra hardcore or contra 3 yet like should well, I let me force think. myself uh, I, to play this first? I think Contra Hardcore is more difficult than uh, Cuphead really? by quite a bit because okay. the thing about Contra Hardcore, the U.S. version at least, which is the version I've played, uh, they, you know, the Japanese version had a three-hit system, right? And they wanted to make it more. They they changed it back to normal Contra rules for the U.S. where you get hit, you lose a life, and the issue there is that the game really wasn't tuned for it. And it's just hard, and you do not have limit unlimited continues. Mm-hmm. So, like actually getting through the whole game, I find to be quite challenging. You really have to learn it. And I think Cuphead is much more forgiving in terms of uh, retrying stuff. It's very immediate. You know, you never have to play, go back very far to retry where you failed. Mm-hmm. 
So they, they could just never figure out like, should we make the games harder or easier for those folks in the yeah. United States? Like exactly. I guess they just settled on we'll make it the same difficulty for everyone. Like God, I mean that's why you need to have a copy of Bare Knuckle Three. Like if you want to be able oh, to actually yeah. beat that damn game, like you need to have the Japanese version. It's the same with Ninja Gaiden Three. Yeah, totally, totally. That's I have a copy of that. Not ten feet from me. I don't even have a system to play on play it on anymore, but I still have it. Um, all right, let's uh, go to number three. Uh, that is Super Mario Odyssey. All right, that's that's a tough choice. Wait, so if that's three, I'm interested in what number. Okay, uh, tell me about Mario Odyssey. So you know, obviously, I think some people have been weirdly cold on it, but for me, I think I understood going in that this was essentially a Super Mario 64 and Sunshine follow-up. Kind of, like, in some senses, literally. <laughs> yeah, like, that that's what they, that's exactly what they wanted it to be, and if you go back to Nintendo, even put out an infographic grouping those three games together. You know, Galaxy is not part of what they were trying to do here. Mm. And in that sense, it's, um, I just, I felt like it was, it threw a wrench in the works and came up with some weird stuff. Uh, the worlds are all bizarre. The art style is completely like, uh, it goes in different directions than you'd expect Mario. Like, you know, usually it's Mario's, you got your fire worlds, you got your desert worlds, you've got, you know, the, the normal, like kind of athletic areas. It's very predictable for the most part. But this one, I think, went in some interesting directions that I appreciated Especially with stuff like, you know, not to spoil it, but the after the last boss fight. Well, you know, I know the game continues after that, but the first time you see the credits, the whole sequence there mm. was completely unexpected and just kind of turned turned on its head what I would expect from a Mario boss fight in a really good way. Yeah. Things like the new Donk City, like Celebration, you know, not the, the gameplay there. Yeah, it was simple, but just you don't see Nintendo lean into presentation and like the music side of things so much. And I felt like this game kind of just bounced between all these different highs and like weird moments that it just kind of stacks up and left me with something that was quite memorable, even if I would agree that it has way too many moons for its own good. Yeah, probably should have maybe have that or even maybe even more. Um, but I like I think for me, it was you know, I was talking about this with some folks on Twitter when I was posting my top five, but it was like the most consistently fun game of the year. Like there were not really any times where it was, where I was not having fun. There was maybe like one or two things that was frustrating, but I wasn't like, oh, man, I'm just going to shut this off. I actually like, was <laughs> looking forward to trying uh, again. And also really good soundtrack. Um, like literally, I think yesterday uh, they announced yes. a four disc release that's coming out in February that you can get on Amazon Japan. So don't buy the $10 like really what should have been packed in with the game sampler CD um, wait until the four disc one comes out because it's like literally, I think it's like 90 tracks. Wait for that. Oh, it's really wow. good. Well, you can <laughs> nice. see like if you go into the music player in the game, you can see there's like 140 different tracks in that game. Like some obviously are really short, but uh, very, very good. Yeah. Uh, cool. Mario had another strong, strong release. Uh, what's number two? <laughs> Now, these last two, I think people are going to be like, what? So number two is Prey. Okay. And I'll tell you what. So, all right, let me let me say this then. One of my favorite PC games of all time is System Shock 2. All right, all That's right. That's followed by Deus Ex. Uh, those types of games that 
are often called the immersive sims, but whatever. Uh, I really like those types of games. And Prey, as you can tell, even if you look deep into the to some of the files on the hard drive, it basically started out as an actual System Shock 3, or more like a, um, not necessarily by name, but their idea was to make that type of game. Mm-hmm. And I feel that they absolutely nailed it in a way that even Bioshock did not. Just, It's a much more nuanced game than Bioshock. It's more complex, more interesting. The level design is more more interesting overall. And what really drove it for me was just this feeling of... So a lot of open world games are like, hey, here's this giant world, explore like a million places, but you don't often feel the the real need to actually explore. You're not really getting everything out of every corner of that world. Mm-hmm. Prey is a smaller world, but it is so densely packed with stuff. And you need that stuff because the game itself is very difficult. Enemies will destroy you. You can't just walk around freely and look at things as you please. You actually have to fight to survive. And to survive, you need uh, gear, equipment, you know, items and whatnot. And that that need to survive leads to you sort of being very cautious with how you explore the station, which in turn forces you to start looking carefully to find the supplies you need to survive. Mm-hmm. And over time, you develop a really good relationship with the overall station and really learn the flow and learn ways to get through it. And because it's so complex, there's so many different ways to get through it. And sometimes it's surprising what you can do. You wouldn't, you almost feel like you're breaking the game in a way, but you're not. And that's, that's always the good sign of that type of game where it just gives you like sort of a freedom to approach any situation to get through it because you have to, otherwise you're going to die. And I found that super engaging and just the atmosphere of the station and the soundtrack, it was a Mick Gordon soundtrack. Oh, nice. And it just, the whole thing was just a really, really good experience for me. I mean, the ending bits, maybe not as good as I would have liked, but the, but that's the same with System Shock 2. Right. And I feel like, you know, as a fan of those types of PC games from the past, this was a, this was a fantastic return to form for me. I, I have a copy of that sitting on my kitchen counter. Uh, I think it was like $11 on Gamefly's sale. Um, nice. And I thought like I've heard – it's been weird because it's been a super polarizing game. Like some folks oh, have yeah. said this is incredibly boring. Like, you know, there's some good things there, but – you know, they just needed to cut off, cut cut out like twenty hours from this game to make it make it work. Um, but I'm at least going to give it a shot. I really enjoyed. They put out like an hour demo, like the first hour of the yeah. game, uh, and I really enjoyed that, but not enough to buy it when it was sixty. But when I saw like it was, I think it was eleven ninety nine on GameFly for their sale. It, I'm like, I'll, I'll I'll do a flyer on this for twelve bucks. And here's the thing that's interesting for me is the demo I thought was okay, but I wasn't super into it. And that's the same feeling I had with the demo of System Shock 2 back in 1999. Mm, <laughs> and I just decided to go for it. And there's a, there's a point where something just clicked for me in both games where you just, you're just into it. You're really in that world. And that's when it just takes you. So I, I'll be curious to see what you think of it if you give it a shot. Because it is, like you said, it's a very polarizing game. It's not for everybody. It is kind of like a Bioshock game. But it's definitely more geared towards the, I think... Uh, dare I say the PC audience a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Totally. It feels more like a PC game than Bioshock did. 
Well, I, I mean, God, it's like, it's just been, this has been 2017 where there's just like, again, there's like a stack of games that I still, <laughs> it's been a really oddly busy year for me. So I, I haven't been able to play as many games that I, as I hope, but, um, you know, that's something that it looks like at least for the first couple months, it won't be as insane, uh, for, for 2018. So that's what I'm planning on doing some, some catch up and just like, I'm literally scheduling game time like like an hour or like 90 minutes like every other day just to make sure I like continue to make progress on this stuff and have no regrets of dumping a game if it's not not sticking right. with me but I'll let you know. Of course. <laughs> so so what 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 bested that and everything else? Well, it's not Zelda. It's really? uh Sonic Mania. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So, all right. I admit, I, the old Sonic games I love a lot. You know, Sonic 2 is one of my favorite 16-bit platformers of all time. I actually think it's maybe not as good, but it's it's close to Super Mario World for me. It's like one step below that. And okay. <laughs> I, know, I, I know. I also like Super, Sonic Mania would have been in my top 10 if I made 10 games. That would definitely be in my top 10. Sure. So... You know, obviously, I, I have a greater connection to Sonic. Uh, those classic Sonic games. <laughs> right. I, I, let me make that clear. <laughs> the classic Sonic games. Uh, Sonic 1 yeah. and 2 and CD. Yeah, like I was a big Sega guy back then. I mean, I love the Nintendo stuff as well, but I was really into that at the time. And I still think they hold up very well. Like the momentum-based gameplay um, and that, you know, just the feeling of mastering those levels was great. And that's exactly <laughs> the thing that Sonic Team just couldn't figure out for decades after after 1994. You know what I mean? They just couldn't get that. The momentum-based gameplay combined with the presentation and the music and just the feeling of playing those games. And that's what Sonic Mania gets right. It's all about, it's the overall package, I think, for me. It's just... It feels perfect to play it. The level design is extremely well done. Uh, the art direction is superb. And the soundtrack is, I think, one of the best of the year as well. Like, it just, it, it feels like that the 16-bit generation viewed through, like, um, some sort of, like, a nostalgia-enhancing goggles or something. Mm. But it's real. Like, I, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like, it just, it really got to me in a, in a big way. I just felt something great while playing it. I really, really loved that experience. And I've, because I covered the game for the site, I ended up with versions on all consoles. Mm -hmm. And I've finished the game on all consoles. Well, I'm actually working on finishing on Switch right now. <laughs> yeah, it's on vacation. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, Sonic Generations was where they flirted with, you know, getting back to what made yeah. Sonic great uh, to to a certain extent, but. Yeah, I mean, Sonic Generations is it is it's it's kind of does like what Mario Odyssey does, where it just kind of puts you in a, a a very much like a continuous state of of joy and happiness. And yes, you will yep. still sometimes have some frustrating deaths, but like it was inventive. There was some really good callbacks and some new takes. Like, I mean, there's some boss battles that are just like insane and like stupid, but like awesome and funny. Um, so. I, I'm curious to see where they go with that next because I hope they don't just like bring Sonic Mania two out this year, right. um, or in 2018. I hope they can figure out what made that good and keep it in the same hands and maybe just let it breathe a little bit and not you know run it into the ground like 
developers and publishers I, tend I, to do. I, I think these guys really understand game design like that makes Sega games great. I'd yeah. like to see them tackle other properties. Like imagine something like a Streets of Rage I was just game. Gonna or, just going to say or that. Or even yeah. something like Burning Rangers, which never really worked on the Saturn, but if they actually got a hold of it and like made it work, yeah. that type of thing, like that would be amazing to see what they could do with that. Give one more, take one more uh, shot at um, Golden Axe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they could do a great Golden Axe after game. that awesome release last gen. Um, well, I think that's that's probably God. We've been talking for over an hour now. Wow. Um, I I will say, like, my list is actually pretty much lined up with you. The only stuff that I have in there that you don't, I guess I have four things. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to go in depth on this stuff because, you know, if it is, it is what it is, but, uh, I had Mario Odyssey five. I had Wolfenstein two at number four. Um, Yakuza zero was potentially going to be my favorite game of the year. Like I put in, I mean, a couple of these games, like this is actually insane. I don't do this very often, but Yakuza 0, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and Zelda were all over 40 or 50 hours a piece for me. Nice. Which never happens. And I think that's probably why they're so high. But yeah, Yakuza 0 was amazing. I can't wait you know to. What? Yeah. yeah, that That's a game I would put at number six if I was doing a top totally. 10. Oh, I God. loved that game. Like it is what I think video games should like. It has the heart of what video games should have in twenty in like twenty seventeen, where like you have all this technology, like put it to some really stupid but funny, but then really serious. Like the best. Oh, this is a really bad analogy, but it's kind of like Scrubs, uh, which you know, <laughs> like Scrubs or hate Scrubs. I am a fan of Scrubs. Like I watched episodes sure. a couple nights ago. But the, one of the big strengths of that show was that they could go from really ridiculous to very serious really quickly, and you would buy into it. Like you could yeah. understand, you would say, like, yeah, no, they're going to go do some karaoke, but no, then some really terrible stuff is going to happen, and people are going to die, and you're going to get in really crazy fights, and you have to protect, you know, people and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I like I've attempted to play through. I pl- attempted to play through three. I may have may probably got ten hours into that. Four was so boring at the start; like it was so hard to get into four. Um, but I'm so excited to play through Kiwami, which is the remake of one. The remake of two is coming probably next year, uh, and then we have six that's coming out in like March here in the states. Um, but yeah, I, that was the like they nailed it. They nailed it and, and, and killed it across the board in Yakuza Zero. It was, I mean, if I played near, uh, actually, well, I should, I'm not even going to say that, but um, near is again, that's a game that I get to play. But uh, two was uh, Player Knowns Battlegrounds, like I mentioned before. I played like maybe 60 hours of that on the PC. Then I play, I've probably already played another 20 hours in the last two weeks with my buddy wow. on that. Like he is, that's cool. And you got like, you guys at DF looked at that game, it runs like shit. On the yeah, Xbox. It does. <laughs> I guess everyone's terrible, but it doesn't matter. Like the core mechanics are still there and the the uh especially for him, like he doesn't know what it's like to play that game with like a ten sixty or a ten seventy. Like he doesn't know what sixty frames per second uh PUBG is, but it's it, I just I pray that whoever is working on that stuff they are able to work uh work some magic to get that to at least a locked thirty would be great. Uh, Agreed. And like, because again, you know, lots of people for a a $200 box with an Xbox One S or if you want to be insane and get like an X, 
like a $500 box, like is still a lot easier for folks than building even an $800 PC and like worrying about like, Oh, why is the game not running well on this? And, uh, and all that stuff. So that's cool. And, uh, then my number one was Zelda. Like that wasn't, I didn't think it was going to be, but I put in 60 hours into that game and, uh, it's good. It was, it, it was good. It has lots of issues. I think like the boss battles are really bad. Um, I think those little, the mini temple things like the beasts are really bad, but it was everything else that was so, so great. And that rose that game up where I, I played that like John, I flew from Boston to Tokyo. It was 14 hour flight. I probably played 10 hours straight on that flight. Like, wow. I, it was, I usually, I don't sleep on airplanes. So like, I usually need entertainment. I, I played that thing almost the whole way to Tokyo, thanks to the uh, the outlet that was underneath my seat, and oh yeah, that's nice. Like it just time flew because you're just going from thing to thing to thing, and you just like, oh, I got to see what's over that hill. I got to see, I got to get this new, you know, outfit so I can now explore this area and all that stuff, and I got to fill in the map, man. Uh, so that was that was that was really good. I just hope they do something a lot better in terms of the regards of the the negatives. Uh, for the the next one, which we'll see in like twenty twenty one, maybe probably something like that. Three or four years. It's like a GTA schedule, so uh, we will see. Uh, and any like you mentioned, um, just like as we're wrapping up, you mentioned Yakuza Zero would probably be like that number six. Was there any like one game that you're like, oh yeah, like it just barely didn't make it? Oh, I mean Zelda's another one where it was yeah. just like it was excellent and just fell short in some ways for me, but overall I'd say that's, you know, that's easily top 10 material. Yeah. I no mean, doubt about that. All these games that I mentioned are like probably the most flawless game of my list is Yakuza zero. Um, because Wolfenstein yeah, two has some really combat awesome. stuff. Like Mario has some Mario's not perfect. Like you mentioned, the moon stuff is a little bit, you know, hurts it a little bit, but Yakuza zero is probably the top to bottom, the most complete polished, like, just insane. Like that game's insane. Go pick up a phone, like pick up a phone, like in that game and just tell me that they don't it's, get it. <laughs> like they, they yeah, totally get it. They do. And it's, I played it in sort of like a, uh, like, like people would sit down and watch a Netflix show. Like I dedicated, you know, like an hour, hour and a half every night to it for oh, perfect. Some That's perfect. You just sit down, you just jump in. And like every time you had a great experience. Same here. That took me probably four months to beat, but I continually yeah, like sure. chipped away over it over time. And again, I think that came out that came out when Nier came out and when the Switch stuff came out. So that oh, you know got buried a little bit. Yeah, it got, it got buried a little bit, but um, it's really great. Great uh, Kiwami right now is like fifteen bucks or twenty bucks at Best Buy. Like you know, that's a really good time to get into Yakuza. Yeah, Kiwami's good. It, it is good. If I've played that before, Zero. Um, it's. I think it is. I like zero more because of the, the time period mm-hmm. and like introducing the characters for the first time. But Kiwami's excellent. It's, it's the good Shenmue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could be arguments off and on about the similarities to Shenmue, but you know, <laughs> I'm they saying, are similar in some ways. You go to the arcade and Yakuza zero, they got better offerings in there. I mean, you could oh, play sure. perf- arcade, perfect outrun. Yeah. I think actually, uh, Yakuza 5 was the one that had a Virtua Fighter Virtua 2, Fighter, yeah. Which was just insane to see. <laughs> no, didn't it have like Virtua Fighter 5 in it? 
No, it didn't have. I don't know. It didn't have Virtue Fighter Five. I think it was just two. Okay. Wait, and let. Hmm. I'm, don't I'm, think I'll, there was I'll a five you. in one of these games, but but now I'm wondering. Maybe it was the sixth one. Yeah, Virtua Fighter uh, Five Final Showdown is in Yakuza Six, which is coming that's out next in six. month. Six. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, that's insane! <laughs> wow. Well, just put just put all of Virtua Five the like the final release of that into Yakuza Six. So you're getting maybe it's what maybe value? it's time when that comes out. I'll do a, a graphics comparison of uh, Virtua Fighter Five on the PS4. There you go. Versus it, uh, the, the older 2. versions. Kiwami 2 has full, uh, fully uh, playable versions of VF2 and Virtual On. Oh, man. <laughs> so, that, now all they're going to do is release some big like tabletop sticks for Virtual On. I mean, we got thumbsticks, but it would be great if they just... That'd be such a dumb thing to do. Oh, I love the dual sticks. It's so much fun. I bet you have a pair of those, right, in your house? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, Dreamcast. Love it. All right. Well, I think that's where we're going to end now. It's a, but a little bit longer than I thought it would. But uh, John, thank you so much for for your time. Uh, where can people find out uh, more about what you're working on and uh, anything that you have coming up that people should keep an eye out for? So you can find me at Eurogamer under the Digital Foundry umbrella, and I'm on. We're on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash/DigitalFoundry, and I'm over on Twitter at Dark1x. And since I'm on vacation right now, it's. Uh, can't think of too much that's on the way other than we have the, the game of the year video coming up for my games of the year. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a tech of the year video, which is actually like a top seven. That'll be interesting. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to continue doing DF retro next year. I do have a, I still have that Jaguar episode in the works. So I'm going to do kind of what I did for 32 X for the Jag. Don't forget that Jag CD. Go find a, a working Jag CD on the planet. That's actually, that's the wrench in my plans. Actually. I haven't been able to find one that works. Got that toilet seat the cost of that thing is insane i can't really experiment with it either it's like well i'm just going to shell out a thousand bucks and see if this works nope okay well let's just spend another thousand <laughs> is there i mean the emulation is that even there yet for like the jag cd oh you know what i, I haven't looked too much into i know jag emulation is there and it's okay but i'm not sure about the cd yet yeah. i suspect there's something out there but i'm not sure I want you it's to a shame though. I want you to bug the crap out of Mike Mike before you finish that up because supposedly he has a version of Bomberman for the Jaguar that he put together. Oh man. That I was never to, released. I would love to feature that in the episode, but this Oh man, that would be cool. I'm sure there's probably also some legal reasons why that. Uh, yeah, no, can't I, I ever... exactly. I suspect that would be a very difficult to impossible thing for him to get out there legally unless somehow <laughs> that zip disc just magically fell into someone's lap and they had a zip drive and they could put that on the internet but um <laughs> we'll see that will have to be in the future in uh 2018 well this is going to be the last episode of back of my play for for 2017 so i want to thank uh, everyone out there again for supporting the show uh, at patreon.com slash back of my play you support the show on a per episode basis and your support makes it easier for me to set aside time to produce more episodes. So thank you so much to the uh, fans that do support the show uh, that way. And uh, it looks like uh, I have actually two or three games already lined up for the first three months of cool. 2018. I don't know if I should announce this yet. I'm not gonna, well. I'm going to say it, and it might not happen, but hopefully January will be Parasite Eve with Ryan Payton. <laughs> So oh, that'd be sweet. That's a weird game that I've been dying to do because it was it was probably the first RPG that I completed from wow, start really? to finish by myself. Yeah. Nice. 
God. And I, what, a, what a great one to start off with. I mean, I played things like Mario RPG. Like, I rented Final Fantasy 3 and all that stuff. But, like, I was able to buy a used copy at Funkaland for, like, 16 bucks. So, that was the first game I had enough time to finish uh yeah that might be it or maybe it was final fantasy legends 3 on the game boy that might have been it i can't remember <laughs> um well that means we, we do have more episodes coming in 2018 thank you so much everyone out there again for supporting the show uh that's gonna do it uh, you can go to back my play.com for all the previous episodes and you can uh follow us on twitter at back my play or follow myself at kevin larrabee thank you so much again uh, we'll see you next time take care